Blog Talk Radio. Metaphysical flight attendant. Exactly, and uh, but I love the tag, the tags that you've given it. The um, fact that yes. it's a, a combination of um, Sex in the City meets Bridget Jones' Diary meets Mother Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be quite a meeting. Uh, you know, I was thinking as I was getting ready for the show this morning that uh, it was a big book in, I don't know, the 70s, 80s, when, as you said, uh, you weren't a flight attendant, you were a stewardess, and it was, do you remember the big book about flight attendants? The big attendants? book? Yeah, oh, well, it was a big hit. Me. A coffee to your me. It yeah. was a big hit. Coffee, tea, or me, yes. Yeah, what, yeah. Did you, uh, what did you think of coffee, tea, or me? Oh, it was fun. It was very humorous. Um, it wasn't actually even written by um, stewardesses. It was written by a businessman, come to find out who marketed it, like some stories. But he got the stories from them. He was a frequent flyer, I think, who decided to put together this very amusing book about little stories, vignettes about airplane life. And it was fun. It was a, it was a good... They kind of put coffee, tea, or me on the map, that expression. Yeah, oh, and, yeah, um, big, big time. Yeah. Oh, God, it was, mm-hmm. it was everywhere. So um, and you, you got some reactions. Go ahead. What? Well, I was going to say, you got some that, reaction um, from our last show. I, I did. I got some comments from people that really found it sounding very interesting and like they want to read it. I think the title is kind of intriguing. You know, the oh, absolutely. It, it seems almost, I'm getting, in all the years of reading about spirituality, I've never seen a, a combination of, and, and that's what I think is necessary right now, is this bridge between the physical and the metaphysical. Right, and that's why I wrote it, because I like to read books written by metaphysical people um, to hear about their journeys and what they've experienced to compare notes. I think it's a good way to, you know, network with other people to find out what's happened to you and if you're just totally crazy or if it's happened to other people, so it's kind of fun that way. But um, I've got if you've got a minute for me to read something that we're planning to maybe put on the jacket. um, Yeah. It kind of gives a synopsis. Um, All right, let me just read this to you, and you can comment on this. It's called The Secrets of a Metaphysical Flight Attendant. It's a unique spiritual memoir which explores the symbiotic relationship between our thoughts and our reality and how we truly have the power to create our lives. Lighthearted wit is balanced with piercing clarity and unapologetic insight in this engaging tale of a life lived in motion. Rebecca Tripp began her career as a flight attendant with United Airlines in 1967 at the tender age of 20. She began to navigate her way through a world populated by glamour gods and playboy bunnies, first-class flyers, and spiritual seekers, all seen through the lens of her insatiable curiosity and the screen of her false eyelashes. 
We all wore them back then. <laughs> Through encounters with powerful teachers and experiences both enlightening and traumatic, Rebecca transformed herself from an innocent adventure seeker to a mature, powerful manifestress. Capable of shaping her life through the power of creative visualization, her story of personal growth and spiritual healing will surely speak to anyone on the path of self-realization. So that's just another little blurb that we wrote. Wow, that's, uh, that's fabulous. Now, um, it's no secret that you have a co-author, is it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Her no, name so, is right uh, on the cover of the book. Bryna Renee um, wrote, is a writer and I manifested her when I, I realized I needed a writer because I'm not a writer. I think writing is writing is a talent. And, um, you know, people don't realize it, but many people have co-authors or ghost writers, and sometimes there's even more. But we worked very closely together. It's my story, and she was able to write it in a way that um, you'd, you'd want to read it. <laughs> no, she's, uh, you know, no, did she write that, or did you co-write that together? That we little kind of that new that. Yeah. We, we great. Do. No, it's, bri- it's brilliant writing. Mm-hmm. Brilliant writing. On everything we do. Yeah. Well, she's a great writer. That's what makes this book a really fun read. I mean, she kind of captured my voice, and um, you know, it, it just kind of flows. And we've had a blast writing it together. It's been almost effortless. You know, like not wow. even. Wow. You know, that, now that, that's something I think I'm certainly interested in. Is you know what is that process? like i mean do you do you get together does she just uh you know i've seen other movies and things where you get the ghostwriter and the ghostwriter is just simply taking notes and then he goes back or she goes back mm-hmm. to their office or wherever and starts banging out you know uh text and then comes back and shows it to the who the you know the the actual originator of the story is that mm-hmm. what you do or do you actually sit down together and you, you feed her a little bit and then she starts to craft it there and then you you well, know you, it, go ahead yeah we started the process uh, probably about three years ago when i contacted her and we agreed to um work together and we started by trying a lot of different things i would tape record my voice when i was driving sometimes she we made an outline of the points that we wanted to hit in the book and that has changed and the chap- chapter titles have evolved and changed over the course of writing it. But we did a lot of um, tape recording work at the beginning. But then she was a very fast typer on her computer. So Mm -hmm. she would just ask me questions and type out the answers and gather material. And then she has an ability to just put it together in a way that makes sense, that flows. And it just all sort of very easily and beautifully flew, you know, flowed. In fact, we stepped away from it probably for about eight eight months, almost a year, because life got in the way, things were happening. and um, But then we got back together, reignited to get the book finished, and we made a commitment to meet regularly, and we tried to meet. Okay. And then we finally got to say something. <laughs> oh, that's okay. But you know, so, so you're reconnected in, and we and we actually we mapped out a plan to, you know, work each chapter and get it done. And then I had it analyzed by a gal in New York, who has co-authored with guys like Greg Braden, Deepak Chopra. She works in this particular metaphysical realm of book writing, 
she's been in the editing business for years, so I let her read it, and she made some recommendations. Nothing major. She really liked the story. She could see where it was very, very marketable. And um, now it's being line edited, you know, which is looking for punctuation and grammatical mistakes that need to be corrected, too. I mean, you never stop editing, I found out, when you're writing a book, you know, right up until the last minute. You can find typos and things that need to be changed. But now, um, after that, it'll the manuscripts will be um, in the process of getting worked again, copywritten and all that taken care of, and... It should be. It will definitely be out in the spring. I, I was hoping to get it out before the end of the year, but come to find out, everybody wants to have a book out before the end of the year for the holidays. But that won't well, happen, yeah. so that's okay. It'll be a summer read next year, and as soon as it's out, I, I plan to. It's the kind of book that I'll be able to go around and give workshops with, because there's so many lessons in it to help free people from anxiety, stress, learn how to use their creative visualization abilities to manifest the life they want, how to focus on what you do want, not what you don't want. Um, it's just, you know, there's a lot of material in there. And as you know, I've been giving seminars since 2004. So it's just another addition to what I teach. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that's, I mean, boy, what an arduous process. I mean, when you start to explain, you know, the hours of actual conversation, the writing, the re-editing, you know, the different directions. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you think in, in terms of, say, if all of the, the, the days and the hours were c- condensed together, what did it take, a year or six months? What, what do you think? Um, the days and hours? Mm. Yeah, in other words, if you had just started yeah. and, and didn't stop, you know, well, if you could think of all the, been... what do you think the total time, uh, weeks, months, whatever? It took to do I've this. Been, I've been keeping journals my whole adult life. And, you know, I I think it's a book like this, a memoir, you've worked on it your whole life. I mean, Bryna, my writing partner, she could add up how many hours she's put into it if she wanted to. Um, right. She put in quite a few. But I think if you're writing a memoir, it, it you've, you've been writing it forever. You know, it's just exactly. all come I mean, from the time that you sat down, the total hours, from the time of inception of, you know, you and um, your co-author sitting together. And, mm-hmm. would, you know, would you say, you know, uh, it was a, on a 40-hour work week, what would you say, maybe six months, a year to do this? I would say at least six months, maybe not quite a year, but, it, you know, as far as hours go. But it's hard to say because she works a lot at home when she's not with me. I worked a lot at home by myself. Right. It, it's, you have to love doing it in order exactly, to Exactly, of course. Of and course. that's what they you always know, say. I've read, you know, they say if you're writing a book, you have to be passionate about the, either the subject, the characters, or what you're writing about to get it done, or it, it just won't get finished. And we were very passionate about, Brian is a very metaphysical person, too. She's a yoga instructor and very spiritual and we were just very passionate about getting a book like this out there because it's a little different. And we also feel that people are searching right now for new ideas, new ways, you know, and it might ring a bell, it might register with someone and help them figure out something they've been trying to put the pieces together. Right. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I've been keeping journals for, oh, God, maybe 30 years and, um, you know, for some reason, myself was drawn to uh, writing, especially, you know, I do 
uh, I have to create material as a as a comic, and you know, I just the same thing as you. Uh, a lot of ideas that I feel that and experiences that, and lessons that I've learned along the way that I want to share, and so that they're in in your research on what writing is all about. You uh, find that writers who talk about writing um, and teach about writing, like I read Stephen King's book, et cetera, et cetera, they, mm-hmm. they all talk about this zone that eventually happens where the writing becomes almost, you know, you connect with the universal mind, whatever you want to call it, the universal mind, the muse, and things take over. Were there points in the book where that happened? Oh, I, I would say yes, absolutely. Um you know, the stories, because it's a memoir and I'm not really making anything up, I'm just recalling the stories of my life and experiences that I've had that have been great lessons for me. Um, but it was, you know, I know what you're talking about because I, my sister-in-law is a writer of fiction, historical novels. Um, she's written three. And, I, you know, she goes into that zone where the characters are speaking to her. And, right. um, yeah, because there are no fictitious characters in this it wasn't like i had anyone speaking to me but i you do click you feel a click when you feel like you're writing something that is going to connect with people and it 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 feels good it sounds good it's definitely an art form i mean i've studied acting too in new york with stella adler i studied with who was an incredible acting teacher and um you know that's that's another art form that um people are impassioned about, and I had a moment in acting class where I could see why people would literally live in poverty to live in the theater realm because I, it, it's so transcendent. And that's what writing is, and art, it's all, they're all transcendent. And when you transcend out of the material world and, and live more in that infinite realm of infinite possibilities and spiritual dimension, you're happy. So, Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, true, you wouldn't be connecting in a sense that the, you had characters or other things, but say if you were going down a road where you wanted to emphasize a lesson, I would imagine that in that process for this book, you started mm-hmm. to see things pop up on the page that you were like, wait a minute, where's this coming from? Yes, definitely, yes. Things would click and come together in a way that um, were kind of mystical, yeah, which is fun. Mhm. Definitely. Yeah, you know, and I, I <laughs> all, all my life it was, uh, you know, as I look back too, and you know, I think, you know, I, I this is what I think why we've connected is to kind of iron out uh, a few things, and one of the things that I think that is lacking, and what I like about your title and about what you're saying and your approach is that you are looking to make a bridge between the physical and the metaphysical. Right. And I I think a lot of metaphysical uh, teachers go off on tangents or enter totally talk about the metaphysical and, you know, we humans who maybe aren't on the level they are as advanced as they are have trouble trying to make a connection because it's so ethereal. It is not so you say, well, how does this relate? And which is right? I mean, you know, because every single day that you're, you're living in the material world, you're, you're just constantly barraged by people who believe that it is all cause and effect, that, 
you know, if if this happens in the physical realm, then this will necessarily happen. And that, you know, you always hear, well, that's not the way it works. And right. so they have no they have no connection to what you and I have connected mm-hmm. with, which is that magical element that's inexplicable. Well, the majority of people on the planet, the belief is, still believe that the outer world of matter is controlling their inner world. And right. those of us that study metaphysics are constantly trying to remind, us, remind ourselves that it's the inner world of thought that's creating the outer world of matter. And we've been mesmerized into believing it's the opposite of what it really, really, really is. And that's why we really have dominion over everything. Because, you know, you study everything like the Course in Miracles, um, you know, Christian science, which I love, Yogananda, all the mystics are, are saying this. We're creating our own world, our own universe, whether we know it consciously or not. Very good. Excellent point. That's mm. excellent, yeah. excellent point. I think that's where, you know, you and I mm-hmm. have been kind of uh, zigzagging a little bit on, you know, getting clear because, you know, I've mm-hmm. I've gone through that phase of exactly what you're talking about, of man- manifesting things in my life. And then all of a sudden you click into something that, wow, uh, all of a sudden you're on this ride where things are happening beyond your comprehension, beyond your imagination, beyond what's possible to conceive. And right. once you hit that point, that once you hit that point, the other stuff that kind of got you to that point isn't operating anymore, and you're more on the ride. And, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I, I totally – I'm glad you just said that, whether we know it unconsciously or consciously. Right. Because the, the laws are always operating, just like gravity is always operating. You know, um, it, it's, these are laws in the universe that are constantly working. And um, the mystics know how to be consciously aligned with these laws in a way that they want to choose to be aligned. Like Jesus could walk on water because he knew 100% that he could do it. There was absolutely no doubt in his mind. Um, You know, and you can heal yourself and heal others when you totally believe that it's possible. Anything's possible. The only thing that limits us is our own thinking. And, yeah, exactly. Um, well, you know, the um, the other elements that I've become, and you and I have talked about this, um, I forget the fellow's name who wrote all the books about uh, belief, um, and he, he had some fascinating things. He talked about some of the operations in China where um, they didn't use surgery to um, heal ca- certain cancers. They, you know, they used mind control or, you know, thought, meditation, et cetera. You know, and you're talking about a society that is, really not a um a religious or it seems but they always had this sense of spirituality the 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 orient or the you know the asian right, right. cultures so yeah they call it chi they're they're aware of this right, energy exactly the energy yeah exactly the field, god infinite right. you know, whatever you want to call it in my book i call it g period o period d all capital letters what what, what are the is that an acronym for something? It's an acronym for this energy that's everywhere in the universe. Um, but I don't call it God like um, you would think of God in a religion. But 
G-O-D, I call it. When you read the book, you'll see what I mean. Um, right. But that's a tricky subject with people. What do you call this, you know? Oh, I know. That's when you start getting all of this. That's when you start getting wars. <laughs> you know, we call it this and you call it that. And so, hey, let's go right. to war and kill each other mm-hmm. over this universal mm-hmm. power. Uh, right. <laughs> and the universal power is just having a big laugh looking at all of the insanity, um, which is, okay, so again, let's get back to the the fact that people, I think, you know, hold steadfastly to, and I've got a brother, God bless him, he's an engineer, and he says, if, you, if I can't see it, touch it, taste it, I don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear about all your spiritual wacky notions. And and I think that obviously once you start to try to operate within the physical plane, that's what you're dealing with all the time. The the, the argument that you know you put on the news, you put on the and everybody's like pointing to the TV, pointing to their lives, pointing to all of the things that they can physically see, touch, taste, or smell, and say, well, see, look, that's the way it is. Right, but even you know science as as they study it you know, in quantum physics and some of these advanced sciences that they're into are starting to explain more and more the metaphysical realm. Um, exactly. You know, they're looking, they're looking for the God particle at, at that um, thing in Switzerland that's smashing atoms. Yeah, um, exactly. You, you know, know the, I mean, that's what... And at one point they found it, you know. Interesting. Well, they, and you know, Einstein and, and all of, has made many statements about Einstein made many statements about exactly. You know, I was just going to mention Einstein. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. Spooky, spooky occurrences at a distance. Things that were totally inexplicable. Um, you know, and he called it God. He didn't, you know, mince words. Uh, well, in his mind, it was yesterday. God. I saw a quote from him on the. I saw a quote that he made. From the in the movie I Am, which I started to watch last night, and he said that if mankind doesn't begin to change the way they think about things, you know, they'll basically become extinct. You know, it's yeah. important for us to think in a better way, you know, in a different way, in a more, you know, to always be progressing mentally. And you know, I teach the work of Jose Silva. He and many others said that in 1998, this was the beginning of the next phase of human evolution. And, yeah, um, you know, are, a lot of things, things, right, that I've read, that, you know, it happens in 2,000-year chunks, you know, that, uh, you know, the age mm. of Aquarius, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about how we align, up, where we pass through the universe, et cetera. Uh, right. But you're right. You're right. And if... Uh, you know, I, again, one of my favorite expressions is, is once you start to, you know, t- let's talk about Jose Silva. What I found fascinating about him, and, and I found similar uh, situations in my life, uh, th- there was a point when he was, a couple of points when he was ready to give up. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? And yeah. Do you, want to talk, do you want to talk about the first one when he went to Mexico? With his uh, brother? He went down to Mexico. His wife called him and asked him to... Uh, pick up this particular cooking oil when he was going into old Laredo that afternoon. He lived in Laredo, which is right on the border of Mexico, and old Laredo is across the border. So she said, please go into this particular store and get me this cooking oil. She could only get it in Mexico. So he said, okay, goes over with his friend. I don't know if it was his brother. I think it might have been just a friend. And the friend goes in the back room and um, 
the night before this trip to Old Laredo, Jose Silva was awakened in the middle of the night, and he saw these numbers in this bright white light. It woke him out of a sound sleep, and he kept trying to go back to sleep, and these numbers would not go away. They were ingrained in his thought. The next morning when he woke up, um, before he went to Laredo, he was looking for these numbers, going, what do these numbers mean? Is it a license plate I'm supposed to notice, or what is it? So he goes into Old Laredo. The friend goes in the back room, and these lottery tickets are for sale, and he buys them. It is the same numbers that appeared to him that night in his dream, the night before he bought them. And he wins the Mexican lottery, which is about $10,000 back then. No, it's 50000 I'll never forget the number, but 50000 oh, back okay. then is probably 500000 today. It was, it was a lot of money back then, and it kept him going because he was about ready to quit his research. He had 10 children. He didn't really have time to devote to this. He needed to make money and focus on his business, but that kept him going. But, you know, it, it just kind of baffled him to wonder – how did this intelligence know that he was going to go to Old Laredo at the last minute and his wife was going to ask him to go to this particular store to buy that cooking oil and it all fell into place. But, you know, that's the way our higher self works. It knows exactly what we need and how to get us to go in the direction of getting it when we need to get it. And that's what happened to him. It was fascinating. But well, again, it comes down to, you know, my the, an expression that I found recently in one of the readings of one of the paths I went down, and which is we're not driving the bus. And when you see things like that, I mean, you know, here again, uh, you know, you can start to, uh, you know, pick hairs, you know, or, or splice hairs. And, you know, obviously he he didn't sit down and say, oh, i got to manifest $50,000 this week. But yet, because of the path he was down, you know, he was aligned. And all of a sudden, these occurrences come out of nowhere that are totally, you know, I mean, it's so funny because I deal with this again. We deal with the skeptics. And, uh, you know, you'll hear, well, you know, people win the lottery every day. You know, he got lucky. You know, and you and I both know, get out of here. You know, I mean, it's just... (laughs) Luck like that doesn't happen every day. And, right. um, yeah, and so that's the baffling part. And I think that um, for the people who, and, you know, I mean, it, it's funny. I saw, uh, you know, I b- both talk about Wayne Dyer. And he, uh, I watched, you know, God bless Wayne. I think he's take, he, he's really uh, a great guide for so many people who are still uh, trying to sort out you know, the the physical plane, you know, and, and it gives mm-hmm. great uh, practical psychological advice. And so, but I find a lot of his things right now, you know, kind of repetitive. And it seems that he, you know, he, he, turned, he came to a point in his life where he started to follow more than, and changed his mind many, many times about whatever his convictions were. But on this particular program, he said something to the artist, and it shocked me the response he got and the numbers of the response he got. He, I think it was no more excuses as his latest, uh, his Hmm. pilgrimage, you know, his latest program. And he said to the audience, let me ask a question. He said, he says, there are no, there are no reasons not to do something. And he says, one of the biggest, well, we don't have the money. And he asked the audience, 
he said to the audience, um, let me ask you, if at any point when you needed the money to do something or you needed a check, how many people, show me by hands, when that money showed up unexpectedly to push you through whatever that crisis was? And when they, you looked at the TV audience, they scanned it, it was at least 80% of the people had their hand up. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and um, show you. the universe knows how to take care of us, and we really don't have to worry. Yeah, and, and to me, to see that in a communal, uh, you know, demonstration of affirmation. So here's this thing going on, and most of the people I talk to in my life, so if, if 80%, if that's a great sampling, and I don't think it's just because those people are there that are attuned, that are attuned to Wayne Dyer, but... Here's, and I think if you just went around and did your own sampling, you'd find that 80% of the people would go, well, yeah, you know, that did happen. And, but they, they don't become aware of it and make a connection to say, wow, gee, something is going on. It's kind of like, oh, well, I got lucky that day. Or, yeah, that happens once in a while. They haven't taken the time to really connect the dots and see that there is, a divine plan in place for them. And they, they're they still living, there's two emotions, fear and love. And if you're living more in fear than in the love vibration, you're not seeing things as clearly as someone who's really in the love frequency. Right, which comes down to this whole, to me, um, jump, which takes, I think, a long time in the in the quest in a long time in the journey to get to the point where there's a combination of manifesting and choosing and, you know, being clear, etc. And then there's a, this giant leap that all great spiritual teachers talk about, and that's the toughest one of all, is this leap of faith or this giant leap where you let go. Right, and it all depends on how attached you are. It's hard to let go of a lot of things in this dimension that are so appealing and beguiling if you're really attached to them. And we we live in a very material world. And, you know, I mean, that's why I wrote the book, too, because I lived in a very material world as a flight attendant, you know, traveling around, kind of getting a grand tour of things. And um, it was important for me to do that in order to grow my soul and let go of a lot of things that I had as um, delusional, you know, illusions about what life really was. And that's why I tell people, check out everything. Because until you've satisfied yourself and found out nothing is as it appears to be, you know, look at all the people that still watch the news every day and think they're getting the truth. (laughs) 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 I mean, that's the way it is. People are state than reality. They don't realize it's all being selected exactly what thing. You know, I I say all the time, I haven't watched the news in a steady, for years. And and at Mm -hmm. first, again, that was one of the tough things to let go of. I'm this weirdo that doesn't watch the news. Oh, it's very addicting. It's very addicting. I I don't have a television right now, so I haven't been watching it at all. I just get little snippets on my iPhone and my computer, but I don't watch that steady dose of it at all. But, you know, you do feel better. You, you, I feel kind of sick if I get uh, oh, too much awful. of it now. 
Exactly. If I'm in a restaurant or a bar or whatever, you know, for whatever reason to meet somebody, and of course you, <laughs> it is like it's Orwellian, you know, it's this 1984 mm-hmm. thing that they mm-hmm. they're just so omnipresent. You can't go anywhere without the the news or sports being sh- shot at you, especially in this culture. And right. you know, I, I'll see you know the six o'clock or something, and so the the news is on, and there. Oh my God! You know, and I wonder why they even go out and get new footage because it's always the same story. It's always uh-huh. a fire. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, I'm not laughing about fires, but it's always the scene with the fire and the family out of out on the street, you know, and the, the tragedy of that. And then then there's the <laughs> there's the killing. <laughs> We're all laughing at these things, but it, well, from a distance, it's hysterical. You know, it's the shooting in the neighborhood where nobody, oh, we, he was such a nice guy, you know, yeah. and it's the same gurney, and it's the same pool of blood that they take on the pavement, and the same ambulance, and the same uh, well, that's police what tape. They say. If, it, if it bleeds, it leads. That's their news, you know, yeah. expression. <laughs> if it bleeds, it leads. And if it bleeds, leads. And if they try to put happy news on, nobody watches it. <laughs> exactly. So, and again, you know, everybody wants to say, look, you see, you see, that's the reality. And I'm like, yeah, if you take the percentage of those occurrences, in fact, I asked, uh, I was with a newscaster one day, a very famous newscaster in Boston. I said, because in my opinion, I mean, I'm I'm an entertainer. My job uh, that I've been blessed and given to do in this, you know, lifetime is to entertain people, to make them laugh, to make them happy, to get them to, you know, put them into the light a little bit. And so I said, well, how do you do it every day? I mean, how do you get up every day and this is your, this is your message, you know? And he says, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's not the norm. It's, it's an exception. It's, these are exceptional things. And, you know, so and I'm like, yeah, well, even all the more reason. I don't know how you can do it. But, you know, not judging him. That's his calling or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his mm-hmm. role to play, you know, as a character in this, you know, um, lifetime, but yeah, it's it, so, but again, coming back, I think what you're absolutely right with what your book and is trying to do. And I think what's so appealing is to let people know that, Hey, you know, I, and as I said, in the last program, you actually lived the good life, the glamorous life, the fun life, the materialistic life, and we're able to start to see these things unfold in front of you to say to you, Hey, wait a minute, something else is going on. Let me more and more move to that path. Is that true? Um, that's that's yeah. That's one way of saying it. Absolutely. I mean, I like I said before in the last interview, the minute I stepped foot into the airline industry, I felt like I started meeting guides, teachers, um, and I was just you know, it was a path. Uh, you know, being a flight attendant, I even felt like it was a calling because you get to connect with so many people. And you meet literally millions of people in your lifetime, and it's it's really interesting to check out that many people on the planet, you know, and be up close to them, um, literally millions. So it gives you a perspective that you don't wouldn't have if you were just living in one place your whole life. Um, it's it a just different, start, different yeah. outlook. Right, and mm-hmm. as you start to go down the path, don't you start to real, uh, see that certain individuals, certain types of people, certain uh, demographic starts to drop off. And in, drop and off? In which, yeah, in the sense that, you know, at one time in my life, I 
I don't know, I met, uh, met people who were, you know, all only interested in money and getting ahead or whatever the vocation I was in. And then slowly, mm-hmm. you know, other, other individuals start appearing in the, you know, mm-hmm. in, in what certain people call the story. We all have a story. And so those right. characters, it was like a chapter yeah. was, was dropping off. Oh, and I didn't yeah. meet those I mean, that's, Yeah, you can go, go through many, many chapters in your life. Some people just have one long chapter. It never really changes right. that much. But I think if you're out there in the world, it's almost like, you know, chapter after chapter after chapter. And that's another reason I wrote the book, you know. Um, it's just Yeah, very, I started to hold whole classes of people, whole whole sections of my life started to drop off where I didn't meet those people anymore, those kinds of people. They weren't even around. But I saw the, I saw my reality change, which is, you know, I'm so glad that, you know, we we started this dialogue with us is that this, you, you know, it gives us, to me, talking with you, it gives me a, a, a place, a, you know, a platform to work out all of these things that I've read and learned and experienced and, you know, you start to see these, these shifts and you start to become aware that exactly what you said earlier, that there's a, there is a divine plan. That's right. And that you and are in a story. That, that, that incident that Jose Silva had, he found his purpose in life. His purpose was to bring these techniques to the human race. And, right. you know, millions of people have partaken of it. And because he, he had a purpose that affected so many people, he got a lot of help from the invisible, you know, realm of spirit. It was always right. there to support him and, and help him. And that's, that's true for all of us. The more we're working to do something to improve life on planet Earth and help people, the more help we're going to get. And that's why it's a good thing to be selfless rather than selfish. Because the more you take the thought off of self and try to help other people, you're going to get all, you know, it's all in the Bible, but it's all the great teachers know this. It's, exactly. Um, it's, it's in all the great spiritual teachings, and that's, you know, that's the God element. Of, you know, you're talking earlier that mm-hmm. when, you, when you leave this individual, you know, it's always a battle. I mean, when it really comes down to, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you pointed this out in your book, it's always a battle between the little eye and the big eye. Right. You know, the little That's ego right. eye, mm-hmm. the ego eye mm-hmm. and the big eye, which is that soul, that spirit, that universe, the force, the you know, whatever you want and decide to call the invisible part. Right, right. <laughs> right, exactly. and then so, you know, there's this combination, and I think that um, <laughs> it's so funny. I, the other day I went out for, again, how things manifest in ways that you can't, even begin to imagine. I think that's the magical part when here Silva goes to go get some olive oil and, you know, or whatever, cooking oil, and the next thing he comes back and he's got $50,000. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it's true, a lot of people win the lottery every day, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and, he, and it's connected to a point in his life where he's saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. And Plus he the saw the numbers says, vividly the night before in a in a when he woke up. And right, he exactly, that too. And, and, and it's saying, but it's like he's saying to the universe or whatever, to himself, to his life material, 
and and again, I you know I think if we could put a ch- uh, title on this chapter of our conversation, it's this: what is that bridge? And that's what I think it, I'm so uh, happy that it, it's it, it's what you have appeared to do is to make that bridge. So here's a guy trying to struggle. You know, everybody gives the excuse. Well, I can't afford to. It's what Dwayne Dyer said when he asked the question. I can't afford to do it. And he's saying, no, no, no excuses. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, the money shows up mysteriously. And nobody has faith in that. Everybody's running around, you know, scared stiff that, oh, my God, the wolf's at the door. And it's all over. And I'm going to starve to death. And he's saying, I can't do this work anymore. I don't have the money. And so his decision is, I'm done it was a nice ride, and I'm going to go back to repairing TVs and support right. my family. And the next thing he knows, no, you're not. You're going to keep mm-hmm. doing this. Mm-hmm. You know. And then he got. Do you remember the other, the second miracle when he got the? He was going to quit the second time. When the little boy came in out yeah. of the rain. It was his yeah. son, I think. Yes, what, he was sitting you, on his couch. He had put his books away. He had once again given up, decided, you know, here he was. He hadn't even gone to school. You know, he was uneducated, self-educated is what he was. He never had the time um, to go to school when he was young because he had to work. And um, But he was studying psychology, metaphysics, you know, all these things, parapsychology. And he was fascinated by this. But then that day he once again decided he didn't have time. He had to devote his time to his business. It was pouring down rain in Laredo that day. His little boy came in soaking wet with a piece of paper that was rolled up, and he handed it to Jose, his father. And his father noticed right away that the paper wasn't wet, which was rather strange. He unrolled it, and it was a picture of Jesus. Now, Jose Silva, being a Catholic, the church was right down the street from his house, was um, you know, very religious as far as the Catholic church. And Jesus showed up in his life at certain important moments, you know, by a picture or whatever. And this was one of them. And when he saw that picture, he realized he couldn't quit. Thirty years later, he sees this picture um, of Jesus in Europe. Um, it's it's done in um, it's hanging in a, in a museum in Europe. And um, it's a picture of Jesus with a little child with his hand on the right side of the child's head, which is what Jose Silva is all about, you know, triggering um, the right side of the brain, becoming a whole brain thinker by going to the alpha level of consciousness because that's where you can heal, you can do all these things. You know, and Jesus said, be as a little child. Children yep. naturally think like this at the alpha level. So it was just yep. another sign to him that he was on the right path, and this was his life's work. And he didn't right. give up because he was given another sign. Right, mm-hmm. and I've had, and you've had, you know, <laughs> and I think because of my personality, you know, I, I get these things, and somebody said to me the other day, you get so excited about these things, and I was talking to a person who was psychic and a medium, and she goes, well, you know, you know, I don't understand why you get so excited about this synchronicity stuff, it happens all the time, and it happens all the time to you, and I said, well, I'm sorry, I'm like a little kid, I mean, I love magic tricks, so it's one of the reasons I became a magician at one point in my life. I just loved seeing magic, and to me, it's mm-hmm. magical. And when life stops being magical, that's too bad because you know it's like just the thought just came into my mind on um, uh, the the express, the um, uh, the Polar Express, right? And and he says to the the kid gets a, a bell, and 
and only the kids who believe hear the bell ringing. Because, but the adults, oh. the adults can't hear mm-hmm. the bell anymore. The bell stops mm-hmm. ringing. And mm-hmm. and so to me, the bell's always ringing. It's like, oh my God, look at this! You know this, uh, you know. And then you know, and I always the arguments start. It's just amazing. Again, let's go back to this bridge between the physical and the metaphysical. Everybody wants to hold on to this concept that there is only the physical. And when you get wackos like you and I, is is what mm-hmm. they appear to us. You know, we start talking about things that can't be seen. And things that are unexpected. I always turn right. them in, in a, and I'll tell them these stories, and they're like, yeah, they're trying to find a physical or a statistical.